and 22, which are the last two chapters in the Bible, you get over into, rather than calling it heaven, you get over into what I called eternity because you have a new heaven, new earth, and most importantly, a new Jerusalem uh, in which we will live and from which we will minister. And so we, we discussed that last week. Having talked about that, we want to this morning discuss, now that we kind of know the place, so our eternity has to do with the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And I would really encourage you to go back and read all of Revelation 21 and 22, because the details in there are fascinating. Um, I don't have time to get into enormous depth in these two sermons, but if, if this is a subject, when we talk about the new Jerusalem, as we talked about that last week, if you're like, that's really interesting, I wish I knew more, I would highly recommend the book, it's called Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, A-L-C-O-R-N, and it's an entire book that kind of unpacks the different aspects of, of, um, of eternity, and both heaven now and eternity after the final judgment. Um, and it is not to degrade, well, I am degrading. Uh, let me de- degrade almost every book about eternity I've ever read. Almost every book about heaven is sentimental nonsense. And Randy Alcorn's book is actual biblical uh, exegesis into here's what the Bible tells us about what heaven is like. So I highly recommend it. It's a really interesting and compelling read, and it's going to give you a whole lot more than I can handle in two sermons. And so if you are interested, continue on there. What we're going to talk about this morning, last week we talked about the place, and when we talked about the New Jerusalem, um, and as compared to going to heaven someday uh, and staying there for forever, which is what most people think eternity is like, you know, in reality the place is the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. This morning we're going to talk about what we do there, because again, for most people, well, we go off to heaven and we sit around on clouds and we strum harps or something, I don't know. It's just, it sounds like a really boring place to be. And what we're going to talk about this morning is not everything that we do there. We want to talk about five things that the Bible indicates that we will do in eternity. And the good news is that as we discuss this, it makes it a lot more compelling than the image that we normally have when we talk about eternity. So let's talk about uh, these five things. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 and then uh, work our way over into Revelation. So the first thing is this. We will relish the accomplishment of having completed life's race. We will relish the accomplishment of having completed life's race. So there is a sense in which, as we come into eternity, that's a finish line. You know, the end of our earthly lives is a finish line. And for us, there's a couple of important things there. Number one is that we need to understand that what we do in this life and and the opportunities that we have to serve during our time here on earth is... Uh, our opportunity to shine glory back on Christ. And He has come into our lives, given us salvation, given us a new heart, given us the ability to live for Him. And so as I uh, walk forward and try to serve Him, try to honor Him in this life, it gives me an opportunity to shine glory back on Christ. And that is what we discussed weeks ago in the sermon about the Bema Judgment. That is what we will be rewarded for as Christians if we have lived the way that, that we should have in terms of trying to serve Jesus and trying to point people to Christ. And so there is that finish line when we leave this life of our earth's time is what we will be judged on. And so then, having been transformed into the being that we are going to be, having been rewarded for what we have done in this life, we then go forward uh, in what God has made us into. But it is an important thing to, to think about and to know 
okay, there is a finish line. And um, right now, for instance, a lot of our college students, you know, they came home for Thanksgiving break, and for most of them, there's two weeks to go. There's one week of getting ready, and then for most of them, there's going to be finals week. And I can tell you, at least in our house, there is great anticipation of reaching the finish line and getting a month off and not having to do anything until they come back in January. And, and in this life, sometimes we just kind of, well, I go to work and I do this and I do that. And we don't think about the fact that, you know, what we do in this life is our opportunity to bring glory to Christ. And so we need to be living now in a way where we're going to bring as much glory to him as we can by living for him and that we will be rewarded and that as we leave this life, we can hopefully relish the accomplishment of what we have done for Christ in this life. As it says in this verse that we read just a moment ago, Hebrews 4, 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now that doesn't mean that all of eternity is a rest and that once we leave this life, that we never do anything else. We'll get into that more in a minute. But that as we go into, there's this sense of like the week, you, you work all week and then on Sunday we have that Sabbath rest. There's a time of rest and, and having being able to think back over what we have done. And so as we come into eternity, there is that time of rest for having accomplished, hopefully, things that will honor and glorify Christ. The second thing is still in Hebrews. Flip over with me to Hebrews 12. So first of all, we will relish the accomplishment of having completed life's race. The second thing, Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. It says there, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of of Abel. The second thing we will do is deepen friendships that will not have to be broken. We will deepen friendships that will not have to be broken. Uh, I, I know as we talk about eternity, reunion is a really important thing for a lot of people, and it should be, because there are folks that we love, and, and there are those that we want to be back in contact with. As we look at this passage here, I want you to notice the context before we get into the part about the reunion. In 22, it says that you have come to Mount Zion. Now, some people will think, okay, well, that he's referring to a mountain literally over in Israel, but he's not. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's speaking about all the things that we've been talking about in terms of the new Jerusalem and the fact that Christ is preparing a place for us right now, the city of God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, but here's the important part for us. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And so it speaks there of us as individuals, as the people that are going to gather together. A lot of times people will ask, you know, when we go into eternity, do we know each other? Will we know the, the connections that we've had on this earth? And the answer is yes, because that's part of who we are, and it's part of how we serve, and it's part of what we did for Christ. And so as we come in, we will continue to be individuals, and we will continue to know each other. Continuing on down through there, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What does that mean? That's referring to us as the church, to the spirits 
that is speaking of, of those of us that have gone on, uh, of the righteous, and we have been made righteous through the blood of Christ, through what he did for us. But as we go into eternity, even as we are now righteous in the sight of God, we are not perfect in this life because we continue to have our sinful flesh and we're trying to grow as much as we can and be as close to Christ, but we never reach that perfection in this life. But one of the great things as we go into eternity is that we will be the righteous made perfect. Well, how can that happen? I haven't earned that. I haven't made my way to be able to be perfect. Well, look, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It will come to us through Christ. And so as we think about that, we go into eternity, and there will be, I know a lot of people talk about, oh, I can't wait to meet this person from the Bible, or I can't wait to meet that person from a, a certain part of the Bible. And I think that's interesting. I, I, I'd be really interested to talk to this saint from centuries ago, and I think that would be interesting too. But even as interesting as that is, I don't think it compares to the simple reality of knowing that, that those that we love, who have gone on before us, who have been faithful to Christ, that in the midst of the hopelessness of a funeral, when you're there and that person is dead and they've gone on and there are so many that say, that, that's it, there, there's nothing left there, to know that we believe that through the blood of Jesus Christ, those that we love who are in Christ, we will be reunited with them. And as we are reunited with them, we don't have to say, okay, now we, we, have, we have six hours together, or, or we have six days together to, to, to try to renew, but that we will have eternity together to continue to deepen those friendships, those people that we love, to continue to deepen those friendships throughout all of eternity, to know that we will be able to be with those that we love is an amazing thing, isn't it? And so the second thing is that we will deepen those friendships. Third thing, let's go over to Revelation chapter 5. Just flip over a, a few books to your right there into Revelation 5. So we relish the accomplishment of having completed life's race. We will there be able to deepen friendships. Uh, that will not have to be broken. And then the third thing is in Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14. It says there, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and, um, and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The third thing is we will join in worship. We will join in dynamic, joyful worship of the one with nail-scarred hands. We will join in dynamic, joyful worship of the one with nail-scarred hands. So I've heard people say before, and this doesn't appeal to a lot of people, um, they've said, when we get to eternity, all we're going to do, we're just going to worship Jesus all the time. And what that translates to in a lot of people's head is, Eternity is a non-stop church service. 
and since some church services are great and some church services aren't great, a lot of people are like, eh, I'm not really sure I want to sign up for that. That doesn't sound very exciting. It reminds me of a story I heard about a, a preacher's son who uh, his dad one day was asking him, he said, um, what, what's the highest number you've ever counted to? And uh, the boy said, 4,873. And his dad said, well, why'd you stop there? And his son said, well, church was over. We've all been in great church services and in weak church services, and sometimes something great happens, and sometimes we just kind of are, are waiting for things to be over. And, and as we look at what it talks about here, again, there's these other things that we're going to do, so we don't worship all the time, but one of the things that we will do is that we will come together gathered in worship to be able to praise Christ. Just listen as we go down through what it says there and think about not just a boring church service, but rather think about the, the times when you've been in worship and the Holy Spirit has moved in a powerful way and you've been touched deeply and you felt um, that as you were worshiping that, that God was in the room. It says in verse 11, I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Now, let's compare this morning's singing, which you know we, we have, I don't know, 40 people here and we, we, we all sang the best that we could, but compare that to a typical Christmas Eve service. When we have 200 plus in here, and, and everybody is singing, and it just it fills the room in a different way, doesn't it? When you have all those voices singing, and, and it just it makes it far more meaningful. Well, imagine that you were in a worship service, and this isn't even the, the right number, but imagine you were in a worship service, and you were singing Silent Night, or you were singing Worthy is the Lamb, with a million people. Can you imagine all those voices lifting up in praise to God? And here, of course, it's referring to the angels, and then it goes on, then, or I'm sorry, they circled, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. One of the beauties of this too is as we gather together in that time, we will literally be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so as we have the opportunity to praise him, he will be right there before us to be able to be seen. Then, verse 13, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. So now let's go up from even, I said a million a minute ago, let's go up to every creature that gathers together and all of them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I just, I think of that time, and, and I, I don't know for exactly how it's going to be, but, but I wonder about as we gather together, every nation, every tribe, every race, throughout all times, that as we gather together, and, and different people coming forward, and, and they're singing the, the songs that they sang on this, earth and and it's a certain culture and yet it fills our hearts as we listen to them and then someone else does and each of us coming from what we have in, in order to praise the lord as we gather together in that time to lift up the one with nail scarred hands who died for us and to give him that praise and again going back to what we said a moment ago as we gather now when we worship we're all sinful and so there's always a part of us that's kind of held back when the preacher preaches something, I know I should do that, but I don't want to do that because I'm still sinful. 
And in that moment, to go back to what it said in Hebrews, we will be made perfect, and so we will be able to worship Christ with no limitations. And in that moment, to have all of us singing together, worshiping Him in the presence of Jesus Christ, to lift up His name in honor and glory, that's going to be a worship service. And we'll have the opportunity not just to do that once, but to do that on a regular basis, to lift up our praise to Christ. I don't know if this will happen or not, but there's different parts of the Bible that talk about... Um, well, let me refer to it this way. There's, there's a great song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that I love. And he, he talks about being in eternity. And, and biblically, there are angels who never fell, and there are demons who did fall. And there's no opportunity for redemption for those demons, for, for the angels that fell. And, and Stephen Kirschamp writes a song about being in heaven and, and knowing the story of what God drew him out of and knowing the story of how God transformed his life. And an angel asking him, because an angel has never been fallen before, and an angel asking him, what is, what is it like to experience the grace of God? What's it like to be redeemed? And Stephen Curtis Chapman talks in that song about, about telling him what it's like to be without hope and to have Jesus Christ redeem you just because he is good. I wonder in those moments of worship if throughout all of eternity, if we will each at different points have the opportunity to stand and say, this is what Jesus did for me. And I think even if there are a billion, billion of those stories, we will never tire of hearing what Jesus did in the lives of those of us that are the redeemed. And so we will worship Jesus in eternity. Fourth thing, still in the book of Revelation. Going over to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Verses 7 through 9. It says there, Revelation 19, starting in verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. The fourth thing is that we will sit down to meals that are huge celebrations. We will sit down to meals that are huge celebrations. It's interesting to me as you go through the, the Gospels how many of the parables are centered around somebody having a meal. The, the, the people are invited to come to the meal and then they, they, they say, they make excuses why, and then the king sends out his messenger into the, the highways and the byways and says, I, I need to have my house full so that we can celebrate for this meal. Uh, other uh, parables where, where just over and over again it talks about sitting down to, to a meal. And today I think we've kind of lost that. In, in Jesus' culture, 
It was an incredibly important thing to invite somebody into your house and, and, and to sit down to a meal together at that table. And today, we just don't do that, and it's to our detriment. When we do meet with people, we'll usually go out to eat somewhere. It's very rare that we draw folks into our home and, and sit around a table and enjoy a meal. And here we have this picture of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we have this idea, and not to say that would be the only meal, but we have this idea of, of uh, uh, that Christ gathers together the entire church around this table to be able to celebrate all that he has done in redeeming us. And as we think about that, we then go forward to think of other celebrations where we'll be able to gather together with the saints of God to sit around a table and to enjoy that fellowship we discussed earlier with those friendships and to be able to, in those moments, celebrate being together as the redeemed of God. And so there will be this opportunity that is referred to as we look in that final verse there in Revelation 19, in verse um, 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. To be able to gather around that table and to be able to rejoice in that. And then number five, go with me to Revelation 22 and verse 3. Revelation 22 and verse 3. And this is the one that I think is the most unexpected for most people. And yet, in some ways, it's the most important. Revelation 22, 3, it says this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. Number five is this. We will provide service to Christ through fulfilling work. We will provide service to Christ through fulfilling work. So, when I've taught on these truths in the past, this is where I lose people. And I'm asking you to stick with me for a minute, because this isn't bad, this is good, and let me explain why. So, for for a lot of folks, when they think about eternity, it's, it's, you know, like we said, it's heaven, and we're just sitting around, not anything to do. And I would argue that even though everybody enjoys a relaxing week, that long-term, to sit around with nothing to do for forever is not something to relish, but that would be something that would be incredibly tedious. Because, as you go back to Genesis, a lot of people think, well, you know, we, we don't have to work in eternity because work was part of the curse. When God put the curse upon us because we were fallen, then He instituted work. And that's not true. Work is in the Bible before the curse. There was both intellectual work where Adam was asked to name all the animals and physical work where Adam was asked to till the land and to to be able to prepare it. And so work is part of who humanity is before the fall. What happened in the fall? What happened there was work was made hard. Work was made toilsome so that we struggle at it and it's difficult. So the problem is not work. The problem is that oftentimes work is, is something that we struggle at and we toil at. So as we fast forward to eternity, work is going to be a part of what we do. What kind of work will it be? Well, my argument would be that in each of us, there are certain things that we are gifted at. Now, the problem is many of us have jobs that do not reflect what we are gifted at. Somebody is a really good artist and they have incredible talent there, but they have to pay the bills and so they work for the state. Or somebody is a really gifted, uh, would be a really gifted speaker, but... Uh, They didn't go in that direction, and and so they end up doing insurance sales for a living, or whatever it happens to be. 
so many of us do things where when we do go to work day after day, we do it because we have to pay the bills, we do it because we have to take care of, uh, of the expenses that we have, and we don't really enjoy that work. On the other hand, there are, there are things that each of us do that even as we are doing it, we are incredibly skillful at it, and as we are skillful at it, we enjoy the process of creating what we are doing. And so when we go into eternity, we will not do work that, that is, oh, I, I don't want to have to do that again today, I hate that, but rather we will each be assigned different roles that fit with who we are and, and the talents and gifts and, and abilities that we have so that as we work and we are working, note what it says there, that we will serve, we will be servants of Christ. So Jesus is ruling from the new Jerusalem. There's the new earth. There are people on the earth. And Jesus is ruling. And, and, and as he is ruling, um, just like he did when he left and left the church, he delegated authority to the church. Here also, he's going to delegate his power to us to be able to go and to do the things that need to be done to help to run this new world. And so we will be a part of the new world there that has been created, and we will be ruling with Christ. And so we will have jobs of responsibility and importance that we will do within that that will be fulfilling to us, that will matter to us, and that will give us a chance to honor and glorify Christ through our service. As it says, His servants will serve Him. And so it's not something where we would wake up every morning and say, oh, I have to do this again. But rather, when we wake up, every, well, when we, when we um, I don't know if they'll be asleep or not, but when we go forward every day, let me put it like that, we will be able to do so in a way where what we are doing is something we will be excited about doing, it will be meaningful work, and it will be a part of what Christ is doing in the world that makes a difference. And so as we think about all that, um, that to me is so much more interesting than the thought of just sitting around with nothing to do and just biding our time for eternity. Instead, we will be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, and we will have a chance to work and make a difference using the gifts and abilities that he has given us. So as we go down through this list, it's a very different picture than where we were at, where you may have been at two weeks ago mentally. First of all, we're not in heaven. We're in the New Jerusalem, New Earth, and New Heaven. And then we go down through here. We talk about the friendships that we will deepen. We talk about the worship that we will be a part of. We talk about being able to gather for meals. We talk about the service that we will give. And so as we think about all that, as we try to wrap our minds around it, and I understand we can't fully wrap our minds around it because we're talking about eternity and we have finite minds. But I want to give you a word uh, as we close this morning to think about. And that word is this. When, if you can't wrap your mind around it, think better. Think better. For many of us, there is no excitement about eternity. There's no interest in eternity. There's no sense of we're, we're making it through what we have to do now, but it will, be, it will be better then. Instead, it's just, well, you know, I guess that'll be okay. In whatever Christ has done for us now, as he sees us through, as he works within us, as he transforms us, Jesus said in John 14, we talked about this last week, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will receive you to myself. And so he has gone to prepare a place that is better than what we have now. We are going to be, as we talked about earlier, no longer encumbered by our sinfulness. We will be able to be ruled with and by Christ so that he will be the one assigning us to what we're going to do. And so as we add all that up, as we look toward eternity, we shouldn't say, 
uh, I, I don't know, I, I guess it'll be all right, but we should look toward eternity and say, it's going to be so much better than what we have now. It's going to be so much more joyful. It's going to be so much more fulfilling. It's going to be so much more glorious as we're able to shine glory on Christ. As we add all that up, when we think about eternity, and certainly we, we don't relish the thought of running off right now because we have those that we love here and we want to continue to serve and we want to continue to, to do what we can during this life. But as we think about what is to come, we shouldn't do so with a sad heart as though the best times are past, but we should know that what Jesus has in front of us is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us the, the details to help us to understand eternity just a little bit better. And Father, I do pray this morning that as we think about what's in front of us, that we would be motivated um, to live our lives passionately for you, to be ready for what is to come. Father, I, I thank you that Christ is preparing a place. And I pray that we would be ready. I pray in Jesus' name. And amen.